and turn back to the book of James, and we're moving into the last chapter of the book tonight. And um, not that the rest of the, the, the book does not um, connect to this, but uh, the thought uh, that he's going through in chapter 4 kind of ends, and then he starts a new chapter here uh, in chapter 5. And I, and I think uh, I've mentioned this several times, but I think it's helpful for us to remember that the uh, chapters and verses in the Bible are not inspired. They were added many, many years later. I think they're very helpful um, but sometimes we make the mistake of stopping at the end of a chapter and missing out on the next couple verses because they go together, and we stop because the chapter ended. This is not necessarily the case when it comes to chapter 4 chapter 5. I think there's a great break right there because he kind of moves into a new, uh, a new idea here as we finish out the rest of this book, and I want to go through the first six verses tonight. Um, and, and what we're gonna, uh, what I've been doing is, is reading the entire passage there that we're talking about so you can get an idea of the overall context. We have to understand things in their context if we're going to interpret the Bible correctly. And so tonight, James chapter 5, uh, let's just read the first six verses. He says in verse number 1, Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter." You have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. So I want to tell you first off tonight that this passage here is a warning to the rich. But I think, there's a, I think it's not just for rich people. I think it's a very good warning to people who want to be rich uh, and who, are, who's, who spend their, their time trying to get money for the sake of being a wealthy person. But there are a couple things that I want, want to mention first by way of introduction before we actually get into this passage tonight. And I think, first of all, it's important to say that it's not a sin to be rich. Nothing wrong with being rich. God has blessed many people, um, not, just, not just people that you know or people that you know of, but people in the Bible. God blessed them with, with a lot of things. Look at Job, right? Job had great wealth and riches. Uh, Abraham was a very wealthy man. So, obviously, God is not against a rich person, um, especially if they're living for the Lord, but a lot of other biblical and non-biblical examples that we have uh, are there to, to make it very clear um, that, that God is, is not against somebody being rich. But we also have to realize that there are very clearly more wicked rich than there are righteous rich. Righteous rich. Right? Boy, try saying that. Wicked rich and righteous rich. That's a hard thing to say. But you, you understand what I'm saying. There, there's, you know, most of the rich people and the richest people in the world are not godly people. They're not living for the Lord. They're not using their wealth for things that are, are uh, you know, enhancing the, the kingdom of God. And not to mention, with money also comes a lot more opportunities to indulge in different sins, Right? Uh, you're not going to find me, you know, uh, uh, in some Caribbean island somewhere living it up in a party scene. I don't have money to get to the Caribbean island, right? Um, lots of other ways that money is spent to get us to places or to do things 
that are just wicked. And when you have the money to be able to do it, it makes it easier to do those things. Uh, and honestly, I mean, think about the, the, the example of uh, somebody like Jeffrey Epstein, right? All, all the stuff that happened around his island and everything else, I mean, you weren't there because you were poor. You were there because you were wealthy and you were rich and you were part of that, you know, that esteemed crowd and whatever else. Again, you didn't, you, you know, the, the money just gives the opportunity for more of that sin and more of that wickedness. So this passage is certainly not an indictment of every rich man, but it is an indictment of rich men in general. The second thing, uh, and, and let's turn over, keep, keep your finger there in James 5. We're going to be there all night back and forth, but turn over to Psalm 73. The second, the second thing that I want to say by introduction is really a question. Why do so many people quit on God? It's, it's, it's because I think a lot of times that following Him doesn't seem to be working. I've followed God. I'm giving him, I've given Him my life. I do all these things, and, and I'm poor. I don't have money. I don't have things. I, I feel like I'm barely scraping by. It's not worth it. People who follow God can still have poverty. They can still have unanswered prayers. They can still have trouble. They can still uh, have suffering and on and on and on. And I think it's also because the wicked and the worldly people often seem that everything goes on just fine for them, right? They go against God. They, they live against Him and His Word, and it just seems like everything is going perfectly fine for them. They have money. They have everything they want. They have houses and cars and vacations and jets and everything else. How come God lets them keep going on like that? And here I am doing everything I can to serve him, and I have nothing. I don't have any of that. I'm barely scraping by. And a lot of people give up on God because of that. God's not taking care of me. They have wealth. They have esteem. They have success. They have fun, and, and on and on it goes. And God's people are living in poverty. God's people are living with, with stress, and, or not stress, but with suffering and trouble and all those different things. But we notice... And this passage that James echoes what Asaph wrote in Psalm 73. It says in verse number one, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. Isn't that exactly what we're, what we're just talking about, right? It, it seems like the people who hate God and who are using their money to, to fund these liberal ideas and, and things that go against the Bible, I mean, they, they, they live to be 150 years old. They never die, right? And, and then the people who are trying to do something for the Lord seems like they die at 65. You know, it just, it doesn't make sense, right? And, and that's exactly what Asaph is saying. Yes, God's good, but my feet are almost gone. I was slipping. I was falling. And I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And, verse, verse number 12, it's, they're the ones who are prospering. They're increasing in riches. I've, I've done all of this stuff. I've cleansed my heart, but it seems like it's in vain. I've washed my hands in innocence. I'm trying to do everything I can to live for the Lord. And what is it getting me? Psalm 73, verse number 16, here's what his solution was. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. 
Oh, they're getting all along just fine right now. But one day it's all going to be over. And you may not be getting along just fine right now, but one day all that's going to be over too. Psalm 37, I think Asaph, and I don't know if he copied off of David, I don't, I don't suspect that he did, but in Psalm 37, but Psalm 37 is a great passage to read when it comes to, I think David's asking that exact same question. Why are the wealthy and the wicked prospering so much when the righteous just seem like they're flopping around? Verse 35, I've seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. In other words, this has been a very common concern amongst God's people for a very long time. David said the same thing. Asaph said the same thing. James is saying the exact thing, same thing. Why does it seem like the wicked prosper and those who are trying to live for the Lord don't? And essentially the same conclusion that all of them came to, David, Asaph, and James, don't look at the immediate, look down the road. Look at where it ends. Look at where you end up based on what your choices are. You can live to be a wicked person. You can live for your wealth. You can live for all of those things, but look where it ends up. And you may not have a lot. You might be doing everything you can to live righteously, to live godly in this present world, and it may not seem like it's paying off, but look where it ends up. Take the long view, if you will. So tonight, I want to look at the warning to the rich that we find here in the first part of James chapter 5. And if you will, go back to James chapter 5. We're going to jump around a little bit more. But the first thing we see here is the warning of judgment that is coming to the unsaved rich. Very plainly, James states that their judgment is inevitable. Verse number 1, he says, Go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries, here it is, that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Very plainly, James is saying that their judgment is inevitable. It's going to happen. It's not a maybe or a might. Those who live for themselves, those who live for that money, those who live for that wealth are going to face this as their end. But the second thing I think we can see here is that James is prophesying of the day of the Lord, and he says that in verse number three. He refers to the last days. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rest of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. And here James is speaking prophetically of the end of the age when God is going to judge the world. And they think, you know, he talks about the weeping and howling and miseries that, that, uh, uh, that are going to come upon them. In James chapter 5 and verse 1, he mentions that. But, but we can look at a couple other passages as well. In fact, turn over to Revelation 6. While you're turning there, just for the sake of time, I'm going to read to you Isaiah chapter 13 and verse number 6. He says, Howl ye... For the day of the Lord is at hand, and it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. But same phrase, howl, howl ye, the day of the Lord is coming. Revelation 6 and verse number 15. 
Revelation 6 and verse 15, And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? They were begging to die. They just wanted the rocks, the mountains to fall on top of them and kill them so that they could be hidden from the wrath that was coming from God. That's the day of the Lord. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth in the face of the eternal fiery judgment and in the awareness that the day of salvation has passed for those people. In fact, turn over to Matthew chapter 8. We're just going to look in the book of Matthew when it comes to this, but this is exactly what God, uh, mainly Jesus, but God, obviously his word, Jesus' words in most of these cases, says that over and over and over and over in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 12, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew chapter 13, verse 42. Matthew 13, verse 42. And shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Verse 50. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 22. Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 13. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 24, verse 51. And shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse Matthew 25, verse 30. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, one of the things, one of the principles of Bible study is when you see something repeated, obviously it's there for a reason, and God is repeating it for a reason. He's trying to get a point across here. And five times, six times, just there in the book of Matthew, he talks about weeping or wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's the, what it's going to be for the day, when the day of the Lord happens and when that judgment of the Lord uh, comes upon those who have rejected Jesus Christ. And sadly, back in James chapter 5 and verse number 3, they cannot buy their way out of that long-term trouble. That's, one of, that's what he says. You, you put all this gold and silver, you put all these things up for the, for the last days. You think it's going to help you in those last days. And he says, your money is not going to count for anything. Your gold and silver is cankered, he says, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped together, ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. See, their MO is to pile up money and try to help them in the future. They're going to have all the money they need right now or want right now for their, for their medical needs, for the days when, you know, maybe the economy goes down a little bit and, and, it, and people, are, people don't have as much money to spend. They're going to have plenty of it because they've saved all this money up. The markets are, are uncertain, but they got plenty of money. But in the end, the Bible says their piled up hordes are not going to be able to do anything for them. They're going to go to use their gold and find out that it's too rusty to use. It's useless. It's worthless to them at that point. It's spoiled. You cannot purchase more life when your last days are come. Uh, there's plenty of people who, would, who, who are suffering from cancer or who are going through different things that have plenty of money that would gladly give every bit of it for an extra year of life. But you can't add time to your life. 
that money doesn't count for anything. I don't maybe you've heard about this too, but I think this year sometime Walt Disney is set to be, uh, tried, they're going to try to bring him back to life. I think this is going on close to 50 years that Walt Disney has been dead, and he was, he, he was cryopreserved uh, from the day that he died. They put him in one of these, uh, fro- basically a frozen tube of, of you know, very cold liquid, essentially, uh, and he was hoping that one day they would, they would have advancements in science to the point where they could bring him back to life. And there's actually hundreds and hundreds of people, I think something like 500 people who are in these cryopreservation tubes, hoping that one day they'll be able to be brought back to life. And Walt Disney, I think, is set to be opened back up for his cryopreservation tube to be opened back up and see if they can give him life. Good luck with that, because he's already been dead for 50 years, and all it is is a preserved body in a tube. He's not coming back to life. When God calls your number, there's nothing you can do to add to your days. In fact, no matter how much money you have, not only can you not buy off God's judgment, you can't even buy off earthly judgment. You remember Pablo Escobar? Maybe you've heard his name. He was very popular in the 70s, the 80s, and even into the 90s. He was a drug kingpin in Colombia. And uh, he, he had one of the largest cartels that the world has ever seen. And after his death, the cartel kind of uh, disappeared, and, and no cartel has been as big as the one that Pablo Escobar established when he was, when he was alive. But it was, a, it, it was said that during his heyday, he was worth uh, as much as $30 billion. He was making $30 million a month as a drug kingpin. And some, I think in 1989, Forbes had him listed in the top seven richest people in the world. At that time, he was worth $25 billion. And back, back in 1989, $25 billion was a lot more money even than it is today. I don't know what that is in today's money. By the time he actually died, he was worth $30 billion. But by the time, uh, or, uh, in his time, it's estimated, it's just an estimate because nobody really knows, but they said that he was responsible for killing about 4,000 people. Over 200 of those were judges. Over 1,000 of them were police officers, journalists, and government officials. But at 44 years old, he was shot to death execution style in the back of the head by a, uh, by a Colombian vigilante squad that had actually been trained by the Delta Force in the United States, not necessarily to bring him down, but they had been trained by, by the Delta Force, and they were the ones that went after him, and he, they shot him in the head execution style as he was running away. All that money, $30 billion, dead at 44 years old. What good did it do him? And not only that, but the reason he killed 4,000 people is because probably all 4,000 of those people were trying to bring him down. And everywhere you turn, you're wondering if that's where you're going to meet your end. What kind of life is that? And of course, his, you know, he's kind of got this Robin Hood uh, look today in Colombia. I mean, it's been, uh, what, you know, 40 years almost. He died, I think he died in 1993. So what is that, 30 years ago that he died? And if you go into Colombia today and ask them what they think about Pablo Escobar, most of them liked him because he was very generous with his money. He had $30 billion that he could spend on anybody and anything that he wanted to. And so they kind of saw him as robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. And so a lot of people had, had pretty favorable views of Pablo Escobar. But I say all that to say that no amount of money is going to help you either in this life or 
in the next. And in John chapter 12, in fact, turn over to John chapter 12. I, I, I think this is, a, uh, this is a great verse to, to, uh, to go right along with everything that we're talking about here. But the point is that they cannot buy their way out of this long-term trouble, no matter how much money they have, no matter how much they, how much they save up, no matter how much they try to put away for a rainy day. He says, you have heaped treasure together for the last days. But when you go to use your gold and silver, it's rusted. It's going to be moth-eaten. John chapter 12 and verse 48, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him on the, in the last day. No amount of money is going to save you on the last day when you have to stand before God. And so the, the warning here to the rich that judgment is coming to the unsaved rich. Number two, the cause of judgment that is coming to the rich. We see that in those next few verses. But the first one that we see really at the end of verse number three and into verse number four you have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. James chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. But the first thing we see is selfish greed and fraud. That's one of the reasons that the judgment is coming on the rich. James says that they've heaped treasures together. We've already mentioned this a few minutes ago, but in the context of this point that we're looking at here, this is a warning against the pursuit of wealth or the love of wealth, right? We're very familiar with 1 Timothy chapter 6. By the way, people get this wrong so often. What's the root of all evil? Money. Money's the root of all evil. No, it's not. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself is not bad. As, as long as you, if you have money, that's fine. As long as money does not have you, the love of money is the root of all evil. The Bible makes it very clear that there's a great temptation. There's great snares in the pursuit of wealth. We're told in Mark chapter 4 and verse 19 that riches are deceitful because of the insatiable covetousness that is in the fallen human heart. Instead, Jesus exhorts us in Matthew chapter 6 to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he makes a very good promise to us, all these things, everything that he talked about, the clothes, the food, the raiment, everything that you need, all of that is going to be added to, unto you. God's, those who make God's will a priority, he makes a priority back to us. That's the promise that he gives us. You put me first, I'll take care of you. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to heap to yourselves gold and silver and all of those other things. Put me first. Don't worry about the money side of it. I'll take care of you. But the natural man has always tended to oppress his neighbor when he could get away with it. You look at uh, you know, these, the things that, that a lot of these people with money in today's society do with their wealth. They use it to oppress the poor. And now, you can't, can't let that image get out, so you've got to have this image of being somebody who is very generous with your money and doing all of these things with your money. But you look at people like Bill Gates and the things that they're doing behind the scenes, the things that they're doing behind closed doors with that money. If people knew what these guys are doing with that stuff and doing with the things that they have going on behind the scenes, they would never have the favorable view that they have today. God's law forbids defrauding and holding back wages that are due. And there's a lot of different ways that people defraud others. Uh, and again, it's not only a rich people problem, but typically that's, that's what happens because they're the ones with the money that are able to pay. But 
You know, they give small wages or high rent or they extract expenses from wages beyond something that's just. They don't pay all the wages that are due. They, they, they pay the wages very slowly. They increase the workload beyond that which was agreed to. Uh, they move factories to these low-wage countries. There's a lot of different things that people can do to, 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 make, you know, to, to commit fraud and hold back. But to show how much of a human problem this is, go to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians, again, was written to the church at Colossae. It was written to believers. But this is such a human problem that even believers have to be exhorted to treat their employees and their servants justly. You'd think that that would be something that we would automatically do but because we're Christians. But Colossians chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So one of the causes of judgment that James mentions here in these first couple verses is selfish greed and fraud. But the second thing we see in verse number 5. Go back to James chapter 5. He says, You have lived in pleasure on the earth, and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. The second reason for the coming judgment is sensual wickedness. Rich man tends to use his wealth to satisfy his natural appetites. He does as he pleases, squanders his wealth on himself and on his favorite things. He's self-indulgent. Very popular song amongst the people who have that kind of lifestyle is, is the one by Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way, right? And, and you see the people that play that song, I Did It My Way. There's a couple definitions that I want to give you here from, from this verse. Pleasure. The word pleasure is the Greek word trufau, which means to lead a voluptuous life, to give oneself up to pleasure. Wanton, that word wanton means luxury in eating and drinking, self-indulgent. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 6, the Bible says, But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. That same word, wanton, is translated liveth in pleasure in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Nourish is a Greek word, trepho. It means to feed or to pamper. Pleasure and wantonness and nourishing are the same thing, basically. So James essentially is just giving us synonyms to try to get the same point across this pleasure that we indulge in, the wantonness, the, the nourishment. He's, he's trying to emphasize the self-indulgence of the wealthy by means of this repetition. Uh, and Jesus Christ used parables of rich men, right? Clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Talks about the rich man in the story of, of the rich man and Lazarus. Hey, uh, in Luke chapter 12, the, the foolish man, he says... Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That's, that's, that's the idea of pleasure and wantonness and nourishment for themselves. And a great many rich men and women and their children have, been, have destroyed themselves by wanton living. Liquor, drugs, unhealthy diet, uh, adultery, fornication, so many other things that they've indulged themselves in because they have money. That's that wantonness that he's talking about. That's that, that's that nourishment of the flesh, that pleasure that he talks about. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 9 says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. 
This is talking, and so that's why I said at the beginning, yes, this is talking about the rich men, but this is also talking about people who, even if you don't have money, have the pursuit of wealth. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And he says it, it, it brings about destruction, and it brings about uh, perdition, and men are drowned in that. Now, nourished your hearts. I think that's a really interesting... He said, you have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. I think that's an interesting phrase, and it's probably self-explanatory, but it's the textbook definition of selfishness. Not only does the world not condemn selfishness, but in a lot of ways it's encouraged, and honestly, more so now than ever before. See if these phrases sound familiar to you. You ever heard anybody say, follow your heart? Ever heard anybody say well, what about the self-esteem of those people? Aren't we hurting their self-esteem by saying those different things? What about me time? You just need to have some me time. Right, I mean, if that's not the definition of selfishness, I don't know what is. Looking out for number one, right? Nourishing your hearts. That's what he means when he talks about that. In John chapter 12, let's turn over there because I, I want to point out and remind you that we should not forget that Christ calls for us as his people to renounce selfishness completely. John chapter 12 and verse number 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. That is a complete renouncement of selfishness. The third thing that he says is, is going to cause the judgment, selfishness and greed, selfish greed and fraud, sensual wickedness. Number three, the condemnation and killing of the just. Back in James chapter 5 and verse number 6, he says, you have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. You'll notice that to condemn the just is the same is in the same category as killing them. Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 30, Jesus said, He that is not with me is against me. The rich of this world tend to be the enemies of the just because they walk, he says in Ephesians chapter 2, they walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The just are those who are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. They've submitted themselves to God in repentance. They've received Jesus Christ as their Savior. They've accepted his salvation by faith. They're hated by the wealthy pleasure crowd because it makes them look bad. It makes them, uh, it, it, it not only makes them look bad, but they are representing God's holiness, and that's what they hate the most. We see that all the way throughout the, the world today, but even in, in quote-unquote Christian America. Right, the movie stars, the pop singers, the entertainment crowd, Hollywood, those are the ones who are always out there speaking against God's holy laws. They're the ones who are promoting homosexuality and abortion and all of these other things. Right? When, uh, when the state of Georgia passed a law in 2019, I don't know if you remember this or not, banned abortion after six weeks. And you remember the, the, the outrage Right, the the uh, the um, World Series, the baseball World Series, was supposed to be played in Atlanta that year. They moved it out of the state of Georgia. All kinds of all kinds of companies boycotted and moved out of Georgia because how dare you ban abortion at six weeks? 
And all that stuff that happened as a result of that, that was the, that was the money crowd, the entertainment crowd, Hollywood, and all of those people that, that so many Christians do everything they can to support by going to the movie theaters and by watching the movies that are being put out. They hate you. They hate everything you stand for. They want nothing to do with anything that you love, and yet we're clamoring to support them because we've got to see that next movie, and we've got to get that, that you know, see that movie star in person, and oh, oh, the wonderful things about Hollywood and everything that they're producing, right? And you may not say that, but they're the ones that are doing everything they can to oppose everything that we and the Word of God stands for. Hollywood Studios threatened to boycott Georgia and, and any other state that, that came out in, in favor of banning abortion. But, but a lot of the world's... Look, look, today is even more popular than ever. A lot of these world's wealthiest corporations are the ones who are supporting homosexuality and transgender rights and, you know, let's make it so that anybody can go into any bathroom they feel like going into and everything else, regardless of whether they're a male or female biologically. Right? These companies are the ones that are promoting all this diversity and equity and inclusion and all of these other things, right? What is that all about? They, they're the ones that hate God, and they've see, they're seeing this as an opportunity to oppose everything that the Word of God stands for, to oppose everything that we stand for on the Word of God. They got the money to do it. There's a lot of companies that backed what was called the Equality Act in the United States Congress. It it would, it would suppress religious liberty and it would require churches to hire homosexuals if they wanted to be hired. That's what the U.S. Equality Act, uh, the Equality Act in U.S. Congress. Here's all the companies that are backing that, that uh, Equality Act. Amazon, Apple, Coca-Cola, Dow, DuPont, eBay, Facebook, Google, HP, IBM, Intel, Johnson & Johnson, Kellogg, Levi Strauss, Marriott, MasterCard, Microsoft, Nike, Procter & Gamble, and Visa. Most of the largest corporations in America. And there's a lot of others, but those are huge corporations that are backing this Equality Act that would take away our religious liberty and require a church to hire somebody who is a homosexual because of the equity and inclusion. And I know, see, the thing is, I understand that there's some things that, would, that are very hard to boycott because of the necessity of the service that they provide, right? There's, there's just some things that you cannot boycott because they're the only ones that do that service, or they're the only ones that, uh, you know, and in some cases, and this has happened with me uh, a few times, you know, uh, to go use another company would be triple the cost, and I just don't have the money to, to not use this company that, you know, I, I can't afford to pay triple for whatever it happens to be. And so in some cases, you, you, you know, as much as you want to boycott, it's hard to do that. But wherever you have an opportunity to not support them, you ought not to support them, right? I don't buy anything Nike. I've, I haven't had anything from Nike in probably 15 years. They're one of the most outspoken uh, opponents of everything Christian. And again, if you're wearing something that's got Nike on it, I'm not saying you're the enemy. But we have to be, we have to, you know, those are the, the only way that we can do anything about those companies is to stop supporting them, right? The money that we're giving them, they're taking that and using it to oppose us. It's, it's I mean, it, it's, logically, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Hey, 
I want you to oppose me. Let me give you money to help you do that. Right? There's, there's companies that kind of ebb and flow with some of those things. Home Depot is one of them. Right? Huge proponent of homosexuality when, that, when all that stuff was really big and just coming out. I stopped going to Home Depot. There's a Lowe's right around the corner. Right? There's, another, there's other places you can go. And look, most of these companies are probably supporting these organizations without being a very outspoken proponent of supporting them. Right? So I'm not trying to say that Lowe's is the only one that's not doing it, so go to Lowe's. They're probably all doing it to a certain extent, but Home Depot is very in-your-face about it. Right? Nike is very in-your-face about it. Target is another one. They're very in-your-face about all the stuff that they're promoting. I mean, they got these giant displays in Target with everything homosexual and transgender and, you know, T-shirts and all this stuff, and we're going to put it in the front of the store so everybody sees it. All right, I'm not shopping at Target. I don't remember the last time I've been in Target. It's been a long time since I've been in there. Why is that? Because I'm not going to give my money to somebody who is using that money to oppose me and to oppose everything that the Word of God stands for. And again, if, if you start saying that you're going to boycott every company, then you're probably going to be able to shop at one or two stores in the entire country, right? And if you're going to do it, and you're going to be very outspoken about it, then you better not be a hypocrite about it. You better follow through with it, right? So uh, what I'm saying is I understand that there are times when we cannot, for whatever reason, not shop at these places. But when there are alternatives from companies who are doing some of the things, or maybe I should say who are not as outspoken, uh, outspoken about doing some of the things that we oppose as Christians, then that's the companies that we ought to be trying to use. And not only that, there's a lot of good Christian companies out there that are actually trying to use the, the, the money that they make as a company to support good Christian things, right? Um, Hobby Lobby is one of those, right? I'm not, this is not advertisement for anybody, all right? But Hobby Lobby is, is a very outspoken Christian organization. The guy who is the, the CEO and, and the founder of Hobby, Hobby Lobby has taken a ton of heat from these companies that are woke because he won't go woke and he's not supporting all of these things and he sells Bibles in, in Hobby Lobby and everything else, right? Those are the kind of people that I want to try to support if I can support them, right? Uh, same thing with Chick-fil-A and these other places. I mean, why do you think every time you drive by a Chick-fil-A, even if it's at 3 o'clock in the morning, there's three lines wrapped around the store, right? Why is that? I believe God blesses them for taking a stand for the things that God supports, right? And I can tell you this, the day that Chick-fil-A starts opening on Sundays, there's not going to be two lines, there's going to be a half a line wrapped around the store. I believe God, I mean, I mean Chick-fil-A is ridiculously expensive, right? I don't know why people are lined up three wide all the way around the store. The only way you can say that is that God blesses them for honoring him, Right? And I'm not saying that I, I want to be a part of Chick-fil-A because God's honoring them, but hey, there's, there's companies that are doing things with the money that they, use, that they get from, from the business deals that they do that are actually promoting things that we support. And again, it's not just a rant, I'm, it's just something that I'm trying to help you understand a little bit, that these, these people with wealth and these massive companies hate everything you stand for. And you ought to try to know at least a little bit about them and understand the things that they're using that money for uh, to oppose you. And so just, just something to pay attention to and to be careful about. Because exactly what James is talking about. 
with these rich. You have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. If these companies could get away with it, many of them would be hanging Christians out in front of the corporate store. If they could get away with it, they'd be doing it. That's how much they hate Christianity. That's how much they hate the Word of God. If they could do it and get away with it, they would be burning Bibles in barrels out in front of the store. They just can't get away with it yet because it's still America and they, they can't do it. And there's enough Christians in America that would say enough about it that they wouldn't get away with it. But if they could get away with it, they would. And we must, so we just got to be very careful about that. And God says judgment is coming on them. How do these companies get away with this? Well, they are now. But one day, one day, they're going to stand before the Lord and they're going to answer for it. The last thing I want to say is this, and this is a very short point, number three, is the calling on rich men to consider their ways. And again, I've been saying rich men, and I, and, and I believe that's what James is talking about, but he also mentions they that will be rich. But he says all the way back in verse number one, go to now, ye rich men. He means behold now, or see and consider this. That's what go to now means. Reflect on this. And it's because of his compassion that God calls upon sinners to consider their ways and to repent, and he gives them an opportunity to do that. As we mentioned in the beginning, judgment is sure. It's going to come. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. But God is merciful, and he allows an opportunity to everybody to repent and get things right with him. This is the message of the gospel of Christ. It's to be preached to, to every creature. Go to now, sinners, consider your ways, repent of your sin, turn your eyes upon Jesus. He's the only one that can save you. That's the message that we should be sharing. And that's the chance that God is offering. What we need to make sure of is that our ways, when we consider our ways in this matter and make sure that we're not part of they that would be rich. Not that you can't be rich and, and still be blessed by God. Not that you can't be rich and, and, and still be righteous. You can. You can. If God drops it in your lap, take it. If God gives you a job that allows you to make that money, take it. But what are you doing with it? That's what matters. How are you using it for the Lord's service? That's what matters. They that will be rich, the Bible says, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Use it for the Lord's work. Don't labor to be rich because the rich, we have, a, we have a very, very strong warning for those who are rich but without righteousness. Don't, don't be one that fits into that category. We're going to continue on with chapter 5 when we get back together next week. But let's pray. We'll be done for tonight. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for an opportunity we have to be in your house tonight. I pray that you'd help us to just heed these warnings. And God, I pray that you'd help us not to labor to be rich. I pray that you'd help us to be careful in these matters. God, that we would not support those who are even uh, opposing the things that you oppose from so many different angles, whether it be by the entertainment that we watch or any of these other things. God, I pray that you'd help us to be very, very careful about that and support things that would bring about righteous change in America. And God, I pray that you help us to be bold for the truth. Thank you again for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.